you can be self-aware at any age. And in being self-aware, I think that automatically helps you become more empathetic, more aware of what other people are going through. A leader's job is to not quash people's dreams. It's really to help bring them out. This is Lead with Culture. I'm Kate Bullman, and on this episode, we are talking all about communications and how to be a more effective communicator. And there is no one better to have this conversation with than Scott Monty. He is a strategic communications and leadership coach and advisor who helps the C-suite embrace better communication with timeless and timely advice. A Fortune 10 leader whose background in classics positioned him to see through the shiny objects, Scott drills down to understand the common human needs from throughout history that are still driving us today. He was ranked by The Economist as the number one atop a list of 25 social business leaders, and Alan Mulally, the CEO of Ford Motor Company, called him a visionary. Scott spent six years as an executive at Ford, where he helped turn the company around with the ability to merge technology with humanity. He's also worked with brands like Walmart, IBM, Coca-Cola, Google, and McDonald's. We talked about communication. We talked a little bit about AI and how leaders are using that technology to help become better communicators. We definitely dug into how to have uncomfortable and difficult conversations with those that are on our team. And I also asked Scott to share one action step that leaders can take to become a more effective communicator and leader. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to have you. I can't tell you how excited I am to be here, Kate. And it's interesting because we have known each other for many, many years in like our different lives when we were doing different things. And so now we get to reconnect and have this really beautiful conversation around communication, which is your specialty. That's what they tell me. And look, Kate, I don't want people to think that we are two old gray hairs here. I mean, we've known each other since, what, we were eight? Oh my gosh, of course. No, we're super young. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, tell us uh, how, I mean, obviously you have a very interesting background. You've done a lot of really cool things in your career. But when someone asks, hey, Scott, what do you do? How do you answer that? The short answer is I help people become better versions of themselves. And that's essentially what leadership and communication leads towards. We're always trying to improve the lives of other people around us. And in doing so, I think the best leaders among us are curious and lifelong learners, and they themselves want to improve. That's life. We don't have all the answers. It's a journey. And I'm here to help people as they're exploring their leadership journey, how they can become better versions of themselves. Well, you've worked with really incredible brands, some of the biggest brands in the world. And that's such an interesting place to be when you're able to work with those types of leaders. What have you seen are the biggest challenges that they are faced with, those big, big brands and their leadership teams? I've got clients that are solopreneurs, that are early stage entrepreneurs. And the point that I remind all of them about is that human nature is constant. And the challenges that we experience, even at a big brand or a big company, are very similar to the challenges that we as individuals or we as small business owners might experience. Because it all comes down to relating to people. For example, right now in the news, Ford, my former employer, is going through a heck of a time with the UAW. 
There's contract negotiations going on. The union is taking a very, very different approach this time. But ultimately, it's just about people talking to each other, people communicating to their various audiences. And if you can understand what motivates people, if you can understand how to move people with stories, and if you can understand how to build a culture within your organization, then you're going to be ready for whatever challenge comes along, whether it's economic or situational or a crisis at one of your locations. It's really about preparing yourself based on having those strong relationships. So what does that look like? Because it's our role as a leader to help our people grow and to develop and continuously learn. And it's been such an interesting past few years and so many different things happening. And so how do people prepare themselves? Are there any constants that you're seeing among teams right now that are trying to handle so much change all at once? And that's just it, Kate. I think they get so wrapped up in all of the changes in the marketplace, the changes in the way that we communicate, the changes in the way we even show up to work. I think one of the biggest things on everyone's mind is the work from home, return to work hybrid environment. What's the right balance? What should I do? I see a bifurcation where there's this draconian, yeah, we need to return to the way it was before the pandemic and everyone needs to come back to the office all the way over on one side. And then over on the other side, you've got people that are like free for all. Let's let everybody do whatever they want. And I think the challenge is that a one size fits all and a no size fits anyone don't work. You need to have some sort of medium there where you're developing your team in a deliberate and conscious way. So if you say, look, I think it's important that we all spend time together occasionally And that is if your team is co-located in the same geographic area. And I'd like everybody in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever schedule you come up with. What you've done in that case is you've laid out expectations. You've shown people what's important to you. And more importantly, you've given them a structured environment that they can then plan around. Because that, I think, is one of the biggest things that we've realized during the pandemic is people have lives. And it's not just about dedication to the office. It's really about giving people the ability to live their best lives, whether they're at work or whether they're at home, and that they have responsibilities at home just as well as they have responsibilities at the office. And when you give people flexibility, when you give them boundaries and combine the two, then you're able to set more of a deliberate culture that is going to then inspire more loyalty to you. I really like that you talk about it on a spectrum because I feel like online when people are creating videos, it's very much all or nothing. It feels very all or nothing. It feels like there's people that are saying, oh, corporate and work is toxic and we shouldn't have to do this. We should just be off and doing travel and experiencing the world in all these different ways. It almost feels as though we are demonizing work. Work is bad and doing whatever we want is great. And where's that middle ground of work is good? Work helps us grow. We develop new skills. There is a lot of value in work. And so it's interesting how there's just these polar opposites, people talking about this whole idea of work and what we should be doing. So I love that you share that it is this spectrum. And I love that leadership has the ability to recognize and realize that, hey, people have their own lives. 
and the flexibility in that, but also the expectations. What are the expectations of the work that you're responsible for that you have to get done? And I feel like that is so key when we can communicate the expectations and then know, hey, this is what needs to get done. And it's less about how it gets done and more about is it being done? That's just it. I think for too long, we focused on productivity as the ultimate arbiter. And when I say productivity, I mean, are people busy between the hours of nine and five or nine and six, whatever you're calling the traditional business hours, which incidentally were put in place by the founder of the company I used to work for, Henry Ford. He's the guy who implemented the eight hour workday and the 40 hour work week. And in this day and age, that doesn't necessarily make sense. I mean, it makes sense in terms of that's when people congregate around the workspaces or their computers or whatnot. But if somebody gets their job done in 35 hours and does it while running errands and taking care of other responsibilities, does it really matter that they haven't worked 40 hours in that week? Judge them based on the work they get done, not on when they're actually in their chair. And I think that exposes another toxic area of leadership, which is the lack of trust that a lot of leaders have in their employees. I've always questioned that when leaders wonder what employees are up to and are they actually doing the work they're supposed to be doing? Look, as long as it's getting done, what does it matter to you? And quite frankly, if you don't trust them, why did you hire them in the first place? It's really a two-way street. I had an experience earlier this year where I was helping a CEO of a longtime company rewrite a speech where he was recognizing employees for decades of service, employees that had been with the company for 15, 25, even 40 years in some cases. And what he had written was pretty bland. And I just wanted to add some emotion to it because it's not every day that you come across employees that are this dedicated to a company or a company that's been able to retain employees for that long. So there's something special going on. So I rewrote it for him and I referenced how in this day and age, when we see so many employees jumping from job to job or company to company every two or three years, which isn't that uncommon, isn't it amazing that we have employees that have been here, many employees that have been here for decades. And I gave him a copy of the speech and he called me into his office and he goes, why did you reference uh, people leaving their jobs every two to three years? And I said, well, I want to draw the distinction between this company and the rest of the world, how it's really special. And I swear to God, he goes, yeah, but I don't want to put any ideas in their head. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like they wouldn't know anyway, but then he's so insecure. And yet he's got these employees who are so dedicated to him. There's such a mismatch there in that case. That's so interesting. That reminds me of when people ask us, when we talk about dream manager, we have some leaders that will say, well, wait a second, why would a leader want to help their people achieve their dreams? What if one of their dreams is to have another role or to leave the company? And I'm like, okay, then great. That's a beautiful dream. Not everyone is meant to be at your organization for 20 years. This is a good thing. It's good when we are able to have somebody that comes and has this really incredible experience. And while they're there, they're doing their best work and they're engaged and they're contributing to the organization. And then they get to go off. But when they're leaving, they're leaving 
in a good positive way and in a way in which you're able to figure out, okay, what are we going to do before this person goes? What a better transition for that person. So that reminds me of that. It's like, why would you put this in someone's head that there are other opportunities or there are other dreams out there that you're able to fulfill? So what a different shift in mindset. Do you feel like older leaders versus millennials or Gen Z? What are you seeing as far as the different age groups of people that are working? It depends. The older ones are, I think, naturally inclined to thinking more old-fashioned ways. And yet I've experienced some older leaders who are resilient and remarkable and curious and enthusiastic. And it really comes down to self-awareness. You know, you can be self-aware at any age. And in being self-aware, I think that automatically helps you become more empathetic, more aware of what other people are going through. And as you said, a leader's job is to not quash people's dreams. It's really to help bring them out. You think about Jack Welch in his time at General Electric. And look, Jack Welch at the time in the 80s and 90s was considered a remarkable CEO. We look back on his methods now and we kind of cringe a bit. But the reality is that in GE, it was a hierarchy. And there were only so many steps up the ladder and places that you could fill and not everybody was going to get there. It's built like a classic pyramid or a hierarchical organization. So the reality is you're developing people along the way to become better leaders, to become better versions of themselves. And ultimately part of GE's success was measured by the executive positions that leaders took when they left GE and went to other organizations, that GE ended up becoming a CEO factory for a lot of different industries, even though they didn't stay at GE. And what they did is they took that culture, they took those lessons that they learned, and they then instilled them in other organizations. Yeah, it's all this development of skills. I find it interesting, though, that we come across leaders that are very self-aware and that are readers. They read a lot. They study a lot. They learn. They grow. I worked with someone who was so old school and he would flat out say, I don't read books. And this was early on in my career. And I started becoming a very avid reader. I found Think and Grow Rich and Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and all the personal development stuff. And I didn't know it was this whole world of these incredible authors. And he was like, no, I don't read books. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. You can see with my background here, I have a thing for books. And it's long been said that leaders are readers. And I don't care if you listen to audio books versus actually sit down and read a book, or if you just read long form articles on the web, or you subscribe to a lot of newsletters. The point is staying well-informed and getting inspiration from ideas other than what your small bubble encompasses. As we open ourselves up to a great world around us, whether it's a world from a thousand years ago or last week. It's about understanding and embracing other ideas and using those to inspire your own development in whatever way you think is appropriate. Not everybody needs to be Tony Robbins or not everybody needs to be Seth Godin. But if you can take those and they spark an idea in your particular area of focus, then that's all that matters. And I think we need to encourage more of that. And this is part of the problem. We don't have a lot of time for reflection. We don't have a lot of downtime. We're constantly being moved and pushed and distracted. And we need time to reflect on these things. 
And to me, when you sit down with a book or whatever other piece of reading material you have, and you take the time to reflect on what you've just read, that's what really matters. Ah, oh, such a good point. I was just talking to a group that I'm involved with, kind of like a mastermind. And I was saying, I need to stop learning. I need to just take a moment to just stop learning for a second because you have so much information, information overload. And you also have to make that time to think about, okay, what does this mean? And how can I apply it? That matters too, right? It's not just about this constant need of consumption. You mentioned Seth Godin. That's another thing I find interesting. I mentioned Seth Godin to people all the time. Most people have never heard of him. You and I in the marketing communication world, he is like big time. How have you not heard of him? So it's a good point to think about in your industry. What does that look like? Who are the people in your industry that you really admire that are doing incredible things and finding those resources that you really like? And today it's easier than ever with books and podcasts. I mean, oh my gosh, the amount of podcasts that are out there on every single specific niche topic you could think about, there's a podcast. That is true. You know, one of the best pieces of business advice that I ever read, it's business, it's communications, it's marketing for that matter, is if you wish to persuade me, you must think my thoughts, feel my feelings, and speak my words. It comes from a sense of empathy, putting yourself in the other person's shoes. But think my thoughts, feel my feelings, speak my words. This wasn't Seth Godin. It wasn't Dale Carnegie. It was Cicero from 64 BC. And when I talk about the universality of human nature, whether you're in a big business or small, whether you're in 2023 or 23, the point is we all remain the same and we have the same needs. And I don't care if you're reading Seth Godin or if you're reading Cicero, but it's those takeaways and your understanding of how we relate to each other that matters. Yeah. I did notice that you are a big fan of the Stoics. You put a lot of quotes from philosophers in your content, which I so appreciate. I was a classics major as an undergrad, and this is my last gasp of hope to make my degree relevant. Well, you're doing a great job, Scott. <laughs> So let's get into communication a little bit because I am fascinated by incredible writers, poets, copywriters. What a different skill set of copywriters and just the idea of creating all these landing pages and all the ways that we craft messages and just tweaking things here and there. In fact, I'm reading a book now by Jonah Berger. I don't know if you're familiar with his books, but it's called Magic Words. And it is so fascinating. Just the idea of changing small little words here and there to improve your communication. So you help so many people with communication and leadership, obviously, is such a big part of that. We have to take an idea and lead people towards it and persuade them to get on board with the message that we want to share and the direction that we're going and the mission that we're on. So what do you feel like are some of the mistakes that leaders are making today when it comes to communication? Well, I think one of the easiest mistakes to overcome is to realize that, especially today, that one size does not fit all. There are different formats that people consume content in, and we need to write. 100% of communication is based on writing. I mean, whether it's talking points or a script for a video, even though it's a video, you're still having a writing component to it that we need to think about the method and the medium in which we are conveying our message as well as the actual words. 
So in other words, a CEO or other executive officer might put out a statement, whatever it is, financial viability of the company, the performance last quarter, and update news. And that statement goes out plastered everywhere the same. Well, guess what? People don't consume that kind of content the same everywhere. So whether it's on Twitter, excuse me, X or LinkedIn, or even TikTok, how you're composing these messages visually, audially, and in written form makes a huge difference. And quite frankly, there's a difference in writing for the eye versus writing for the ear. I learned this from an NPR interview. They said, if you pay attention to the updates, the news updates, particularly on NPR, they're short sentences. Why are they short sentences? Because we're listening and your ear has a different focus than your eye. When you're scanning a sentence, you can see eventually where it's going to end. When you're listening, you don't know. So keeping people's attention in short phrases and in short sentences makes a heck of a lot more sense when you're writing for the ear. Just be careful of the medium and make sure that you are tailoring your message to every audience and every medium. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It feels like a lot of work, <laughs> especially for leaders leading a big team. If they do put out the newsletter or an email, and then it's also the video or a podcast. I know that some companies, they have an internal podcast that people can listen to. So it feels like obviously it does take a lot of time and attention to craft and put together. So when putting together whatever piece of content, whether written, audio, or visual, I'm curious, are you using or do you recommend that leaders start using AI to help them craft more powerful messages to their teams? Well, I think AI is a useful tool. It is not the end-all be-all of communications. Like with any technology, our first look at it, oh, okay, how can I get this to replace something that I'm already doing, to free up my time to do other things? I don't think that's an unhealthy way of looking at it, but I think looking at AI as a wholesale replacement for your voice and yourself is a mistake. In other words, you can use AI to help you generate ideas, to help you come up with outlines, maybe even to craft a few sentences. But once AI has given you that output, it's still incumbent upon you to go and make it your own and make it sing like you would normally talk or write to people. So I think it's a wonderful tool that we've got now and people should use it and experiment with it and see how it works for them but don't rely on it solely. It's kind of like getting into a Tesla and getting in the backseat and letting the car drive. Well, it's not quite ready for prime time yet, even though some Elon bros will tell you it is. <laughs> some Elon bros. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, it's really interesting AI and how some people are using it. I published my first book this year and I told someone, I said, I'm kind of glad I published my first book without it. I think I would have gone crazy because I do think it's a very effective tool to be able to help craft some, whether it's like a subject line or maybe to take a certain paragraph and switch it up a little bit. But it is really interesting how some people are using it to draft better emails or memos or whatever it is, or videos and creating video scripts. But you can tell when somebody uses AI versus if it's more them, if it's 90% them and 10% AI or like 10% them and 90% AI, you can tell. That's right. So you got to be careful. Yeah, it's definitely more generic. We have a lot of leaders that are very challenged with having difficult conversations. 
those uncomfortable conversations with their team members that they put off, whether it is a leader that is dealing with somebody on their team that reports directly to them, or just people in the organization that they're working together and there's a lot of conflict. And then the leader is like, well, I don't know how to handle these two people and the conflict they're in. So those two scenarios show up a lot. I'm sure you see that in the work that you do as well. So I'm curious how you help leaders work through those situations. Yeah. Well, the reality is no one, well, almost no one likes conflict. And I've worked with a number of leaders who go out of their way to avoid conflict. That in turn becomes extraordinarily unhealthy because the conflict doesn't go away. It's just that they're not dealing with it. And if we can't bring something to the fore and address it, then what kind of a relationship do we have? And that's essentially what you need to think about your teams as. And I don't like referring to companies and teams as family because it's not the same as family. And God, we know how families can bicker too, right? But the reality is it's about having relationships with people. And this is what I've been saying throughout the episode here. Having a healthy relationship with someone means being able to express all kinds of feelings. I deal with this with my kids too. You know, your kid gets upset and they start crying. And a lot of parents, their first instinct is to say, oh, don't cry. Well, why not? If they were laughing, would you tell them not to laugh? Well, in an inappropriate situation, you might, right? But we instinctively do not tamp down on positive feelings. Why should we tamp down on so-called negative feelings? Feelings are just feelings. And if you're having some difficulty with the people in your organization, then the best thing to do is just let people know that you're struggling. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to go and confront them and tell them what they're doing wrong. But what you can say is how it's affecting you how it's affecting you as a manager, how it's affecting you as an individual contributor, and maybe what you'd like to see improve out of the situation. And then allow the other person to respond and see where they take it. Now, if they are in full blame mode, and that's where it's easy to get to. When one person starts a conversation by blaming the other person for a conflict or telling them what they're doing wrong, then the other person's natural instinct is to freeze up and to counter with, well, no, I'm not doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And the conflict just continues. Versus if I came to you and I said, Kate, I'm struggling right now. I'm having a really difficult time because I'm not able to get my assignment done when I don't have the necessary information from you. Is there any way you could help me out here? You see, that sets up a very different kind of engagement, a very different kind of conversation than Kate, when you don't send me my emails, it screws up the whole project, right? So it's just the tone we take and the empathy we show and the focus on how it's affecting you versus what the other person is doing. The word that comes to mind is empathy, just uh, hearing a lot more or reading a lot more about leadership and empathy and that importance of treating people like people. I mean, that's so much of the work that we do and you do as well. It's like, Treat people like people. That is the essence of what we're talking about. Be kind to each other and be honest and open. And you said it earlier in the episode, when you hire the right people, I feel like that is the caveat to all of this stuff. When you have the right people on your team and you're building that level of trust to be able to have open conversations, it should be easy, but not comfortable. It's never comfortable to have an uncomfortable conversation with someone, but if you have that open communication with them continuously and you're treating them like people, 
then that conversation looks a heck of a lot differently if someone's coming into your office already feeling like my boss hates me and you're already dealing with a struggle right from the start. And so it happens way before you have that difficult conversation. And I think that's a really good advertisement for one-on-ones. If you're having a regular weekly one-on-one with your direct reports, to me, one-on-ones aren't about status updates. Status updates, project updates, those are appropriate when you're dealing with a particular project. The one-on-one is just that. It's one-on-one time. It's how are things going in your world? What are you struggling with? What have you seen lately? what you do this weekend? I mean, all kinds of things like that, however you want to structure it so that you do get to a conversation where somebody's having a difficult time. Another way of addressing it, if you've got this rapport already in place with them, thanks to the one-on-ones, would be to say, Kate, is everything okay? Or Kate, I notice your work quality has been slipping lately. Is there something that's bothering you? Or is there something you'd like to talk about? And giving them agency, giving them the dignity to respond with what might be on their mind rather than having to be back on their heels and be defensive. Such a different conversation. So different. What do you feel if somebody is listening right now and they are constantly in this phase of growth and learning and developing when it comes to their leadership skills and becoming a better leader and building a great culture? What would be a good activity, 10 minutes or less, that a leader can do to improve their leadership and communication? It's going to be different for everybody, but I am a huge proponent of the old Latin practice of solvatur ambulando, and that means it is solved by walking. For people who are perhaps cooped up at home, working from home, getting out of your apartment, getting out of your house, go and take a walk, go down to the corner bodega, go stroll around the park, take your pet out for a walk, whatever it is. And don't look at your phone while you're doing that. Use it as time to clear your head and to just observe the world around you. Because I think too often we're heads down, focused on our phone, trying to get to our next appointment. What's the next update or who just texted me? Clear your mind from that. Less.com. And more dot com is what I say. Dot com. I like that. I just think we need to step away and clear our heads from time to time. And even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes, and that's a form of meditation and other people will turn to meditation as a practice. And I'm entirely for that as well. But it's really about focusing yourself, removing yourself from the distractions and allowing your brain to just naturally relax. The other thing is, and this is an old HP management technique at Hewlett Packard, is management by walking around, getting out of your office, getting out of your cube, if you happen to be in a co-located spot, and just talking to people. Again, removing yourself from that focus on the latest memo or report or news update, and just enjoying the company of other people. doesn't necessarily have to be about work going out there and making yourself available to other people can produce all kinds of effects that you would never expect. I love that. You're walking the walk, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Exactly. You're walking the walk because you really show that you care and you can tell. Actually, I, I just was on the phone today. I had to schedule to bring my car in for service. And the woman on the phone, Scott, She was so adorable and so helpful and just over the top helpful. Like you could tell she just loved 
saying her whole script and doing her whole thing. And so I'm there for it. I'm just listening. And at the end of the call, he said, is there anything else I can do for you? And I said, yeah, how long have you been working there? And she said, oh, I've been here for 15 years. And I said, wow, you must love it. She goes, I love it. I love the owners. I live right down the street. I walk to work. I was like, oh my gosh. And she's been there for so long. You can tell. I don't even have to meet the owners to know what kind of culture they have in that organization for this woman to care that deeply about, obviously she cares about her work because of that phone call. She was so sweet. And then she said, call me anytime. <laughs> See, there you go. And look, you are more likely to remark on that kind of interaction than you were with one that was just by the book and just the facts, ma'am. Somebody took the time to inspire you with a little emotion, with a little enthusiasm, whatever it is, and showed their own passion for what they do. Even if it's just a phone job, my gosh, this woman is really living the culture that she's been inspired by. And that has rubbed off on you. And that's really all it's about. That's it. I always encourage people. I'm like, when you are out and about and you're dealing with someone and you can tell that they're happy in their role, ask them, do you like working here? You get very different responses. In fact, sometimes I ask people when I can tell they don't really love working there and they tell you they are not shy. To, they are honest about <laughs> I'm like, mm, maybe don't do that because they have those personal shoppers. I'm not one of them, but just <laughs> those secret shoppers, you know? Yeah, exactly. You never know. Oh my gosh. Well, Scott, this has been so wonderful. I am so appreciative and grateful to have you on. You shared some really great tips. I always like to make sure that people are leaving with some type of action step, something that they can do to really help in their leadership journey, which goes back to the point of we can listen and learn and read all the things, but if we don't practice and apply, then what's the point? So I hope that people took something from today's session. So Thank you so much for taking the time, Scott. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Kate. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It is so important, like we talked about, that when we're listening to a podcast, reading a book, reading articles, whatever it is that we're consuming, that we're actually learning and taking something that can be applied. We can always learn something from the people that we meet or the content that we consume. And so I hope that there was something in this episode that inspired you to become a more effective communicator and leader for your team. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't yet written a review, we would love for you to write a five-star review and tell us what you like about the show. It really does help the ratings and help more people find this podcast because we are on a mission to help as many leaders as possible to become better leaders and become the best version of themselves so their organizations can become the best version of themselves. So thank you for your support. Thank you for listening. And until next time, lead with culture. 